Awesome. I live down here in Florida where it's alligator mating season. Ooh. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever seen this in action, but it means that the alligators um, end up in your pools or in Ooh. your backyard or wherever it is that they need to go in order to uh, repopulate. And that's what they're, that they're, they're doing. So. No, I mean, it's not that bad. Um, no, but but generally speaking, they're out and about more than usual, which means they're because- on the prowl. <laughs> wow. It's like alligator tender or something. Everybody's. <laughs> That's right. It is a late, late night Cinemax world of alligators. That we're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Soft core gator. <laughs> no. Gator love. This is Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. Where you sound so excited. I can't really host one of these things. My name is Craig. I have other people that host this thing with me. Their names are as follows. Betsy Gonzalez. Hey, Betsy. What's up? Hey, Greg. It's the end of the school year, Greg. Uh, Liz Easton is also here. Hi, Liz. What's going on? It's good to be back. Good to see you guys. Springtime in Nebraska. Thunder, lightning. Very, very frightening. Very frightening. (laughs) Uh. Galileo. Ricardo Avila is also with us. Ricardo, what's going on? Hi, Greg. California IA. Well, I can only speak for my little nook of the of the state, and uh, things are good. Things are good. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm looking forward to a trip in the summer. Uh, William and I are going to Munich, Germany, mm-hmm. uh, and then Vienna and Salzburg in Austria. And, you know, those are sort of the – they're not in the top tier of places, to my mind, that you'd go like Italy. Paris, London, but they're like we're we're digging down now into Europe, you know, kind of the B the B level. The but real stuff. Europe. Yeah, I'm sure Germany's super happy to be in the B level. <laughs> we just I lost that's all weird, of our yeah. German audience. That's right, cool. <laughs> one of the few saner places at the moment. <laughs> oh my god, you guys! I don't know if this is working for me. I'm just too <laughs> too mellow. <laughs> We are talking today about series finales. You know, there. I don't know if you guys know this. There are a lot of things ending this year. Mm. Uh, the Avengers franchise, movie franchise just wrapped up recently. Game of Thrones has mm. wrapped up recently. Mm-hmm. A show that was on for a decade. Uh, the Star Wars, the new Star Wars trilogy wraps up this year. Today we are talking about finales that have stuck with us in some way, shape, or form. Um, whether that be a television series finale, a movie series finale, a book series finale, anything that ended uh, and had some kind of lasting effect on you as a person. So we're going to do this like we usually do for these episodes. We're going to go around the horn and everybody pitch what it is that, uh, what finale it is that stood out to them. You know what? I always start with Betsy. On these things. I'm not going to do Betsy anymore. Liz, yeah. start with you, Liz. Oh, my Whoa. goodness. 
Thank you. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Um, You know, I thought about this a lot because there are a lot of really great final episodes and I am a sentimental person, so I can get kind of moved by finales. And I bet that some of the ones I thought about are the ones that you all might talk about. But um, what I ended up going with might be no surprise to listeners of Pop and Callers. And it was the finale of Parks and Rec. Oh no! Did, that's what Betsy was going to say. Now I'm, I'm, now I'm, I'm, I can pivot. I'm pivoting. Okay, pivot because there are many. Um, that was actually mine too. Oh, it was so good. So it was a two-part good. finale. You all know, I think, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, that I am a big fan of work, and I like TV shows about work. I like sort of the complexity of relationships that happen in offices, and um, I'm also a pretty sincere person, and all of that really coalesced in a beautiful way on Parks and Rec. And over the seasons, you really did fall in love with these characters. It was a sitcom, but there was some real depth, I thought, to the characters. I'm sure that there are some really creative types who are into like film and cinema and things like that um, who don't want their finales tied up in a bow. Like I'm thinking of The Sopranos. I think part of what people liked about the series finale of The Sopranos was the big question mark um, and the interpretation. But Parks and Rec went in a very different direction and they told us exactly what happened to all of these characters that we loved. It was very satisfying, I thought. For a sitcom in especially, there was this sense that like you invested in these characters, you loved them, and you got a little glimpse of these wonderful things, without exception, really wonderful things that happened in their lives. Hey, there you are. Thanks for meeting me here. Well, if you'd have held them here instead of that conference room, I would have come to more meetings. I gotta tell you, Leslie, establishing this national park right next to Pawnee is quite an accomplishment. This is a fine piece of land you saved. Thank you, Ron. You wanna run it? The superintendent of Bryce Canyon retired, and I convinced the superintendent of this park to transfer. Shuffled a few things around. The point is, someone needs to take care of this place now. Thought it should be you. I... Well, first of all, I would be working for the federal government. Your job would be to walk around the land alone. You'd live in the same town you've always lived in. You'd work outside, you'd talk to bears. Next argument. Well, there must be dozens of people gunning for this job. I wouldn't want you to ruffle any feathers. Am I even qualified? Well, a few people might be annoyed, but they'll get over it. And as far as your qualifications, you're Ron Swanson. Stop being a dummy and accept. When do I start? Oh, today. I already accepted for you. I still remember how to forge your signature. Let's go meet your staff. Pawnee National Park Rangers, this is Ron Swanson, your new superintendent and boss. Rangers, my name is Ronald Ulysses Swanson. Your job, and mine, is to walk this land and make sure no one harms it. If you show up on time... Speak honestly and treat everyone with fairness. We will get along just fine. Though hopefully not too fine, as I'm not looking for any new friends. End of speech. That's interesting. I like that you use the word satisfying, Liz, because I always think to myself whenever a show comes on, like, why are we watching these characters' lives in this moment? Like, why does it start here and why does it end there? Like, 
because I'm sure that like in the fictional world of these characters, like they've lived longer lives than what it is that we're actually seeing on screen. Right. Um, and there is like this sense of, I want like everything tied up in a bow. I want everything to kind of have like a finality to it. Um, so that I know what the story is that I'm kind right. of seeing like with these people. Right. Um, and they did that by flashing forward, yeah. which felt real instead of like this moment in these people's lives is wrapped up perfectly. It was like projecting way into the future. In some cases when they were like old, old people. But that's interesting too, because like in real life, things aren't usually satisfying. That's right. <laughs> when it comes to ending. <laughs> that's right. Like, I think that's why I like your word satisfying is because that's how you know the difference between a television show and like what's actually real. Right. What's real is usually messy and you have no sense of like, you know, well, why did this person come into my life if they were just going to leave in two months? And I wasn't right. for them. And I think, you know, I think that kind of ever since Seinfeld, sitcom characters are often sort of despicable. Mm. They're not actually, they're not, sometimes a lot of the conflict comes from the fact that they're not actually good people. Parks and Rec just went in the complete opposite direction. It was like, here are these fundamentally really good people who love each other, who are flawed and complicated and don't always live up to their best selves, but basically they're good people. So there was a real um, satisfaction in seeing these good people come to a good conclusion. You know, it's interesting. You're talking about endings being messy in real life. And uh, I, I always have this sense of like, if, gosh, when I get older, this is, this is, if if I when I die I wanted to be of this I want to die in my sleep having had the best day ever and you know you want to sort of almost orchestrate it and certainly disappointment at not getting to be at your own funeral and hearing people say nice things about you <laughs> right but um, it never happens that way it's it's you know people even people who are old they're like I am so tired of living mm-hmm. let it be not let it come so it's interesting I I, I wonder if that just taps into a sense of needing closure. The the element of Pawnee too was that it wasn't always just about them as characters and their own story, that there was also this kind of greater striving and ambition for the greater good that was also kind of happening on the show as well, embodied by Leslie Nope as a character. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes others joyfully coming with her on that journey, sometimes others being dragged along on that journey. But that it in the end, because they're actually looking outside themselves, I think it's what makes them so appealing because there's this striving for the greater good, but Oh my gosh, aren't we all just idiots along the way? And Mm -hmm. like, then how can we love each other through our idiocy? I think that's what I love so much about that show in general. Mm -hmm. Which really is kind of like church, right? Like when you're deeply invested in a church community, you get the sense of like, we are all so beautiful. We are all so broken we're trying to do this thing that's kind of against all odds and we bump up into each other and we come to mean so much to each other. It would make sense in a church, just like it made sense in a little civic environment, you know? You know, it's funny when I do funerals for people who aren't really a part of the parish, it's, it's a nice thing, but it feels like a, it feels like a, Oh, I don't know. An event. Uh, a mm. thing that people come to, oh, you've got a nice church. That was a beautiful service, la, la, la. Um, but when it's someone f- 
from your community, you know, who's been going to that church. And I haven't had that many of those in my life. It's, it's just more poignant, obviously, right? Because people are coming. This is the pew they sat in and we, we worship with them. Remember that story about, mm-hmm. remember that time she got mad when we moved the, the Paschal candle over the other side or whatever. And, and that's a richness that, you know, that's one of the beauties, I think, of a show like Parks and Recreation, which I have never seen before, but <gasps> I know, I know, but I know enough about. Mm-hmm. And then, you yeah. know, shows are like that, right? When you have a sense of people living in each other's space and, and engaging each other. These series finales are poignant because you have grown to be part of that community in a way. Two things. All right. <laughs> First one of the season. this uh, this two things segment by Ricardo <laughs> is brought to you by. Does this mean you right. get to do it one time? It's the only time I'm doing it the whole season. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, the two things I was going to say. So first of all, um, recently in the lectionary we had uh, that that passage from the end of the Gospel of John, uh, where they're on the beach. You know, Jesus calls out to them, "Hey, have you caught any fish? No." Try the other side of the boat. And they catch a whole <laughs> bunch. And he says, come on. And come on, let's have breakfast. He said, let's have breakfast. Has a little campfire on the beach. I, when I preached about it, I said, you know, I always picture the credits rolling when they're on the beach having their breakfast. Like mm-hmm. the story is over. This is like this coda, this quiet, sweet coda where what is established as kind of almost an afterthought is, you know, relationship is what it was all about. Here we are friends who've spent one to three years together and we're on the beach. We're having breakfast. I'm resurrected. And we're just talking about, you know, feed my sheep. I'm going to send you out. But right now we're having this time together and contrast that to me anyway, with revelation, which is like the end of our Bible. And it's so majestic. It is finished. I am the alpha and the omega the horns and the angels and the creatures and everyone's glorifying God. And I don't even know what the, it feels like revelation has like four endings. Like you think, okay, that's it. And then they go more and then they go more. And I got to say for my money, I sort of prefer that ending to the gospel of John, this quiet, lovely, poignant, but everyday kind of thing. Like when else does Jesus ever say, um, come and have breakfast. Uh, Ricardo, you want to move us along to what your series finale is? Sure. I hope this isn't stepping on anyone else's toes. Uh Um, Get ready, Betsy. Get ready, Betsy. (laughs) I choose six feet under. Is that okay? That's a good. You know, I've never. I watched that that montage a million times. I think, isn't that like supposed to be one of the best finales ever? Like the best TV shows ever done. I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a better finale. I've never seen almost like a better 10 minutes of television than mm-hmm. this. And the thing is, so that it had six seasons, I think. And you could get to know these characters through those six seasons. And to my mind, they're not all that, they're not all that likable. I mean, they, they're right. all kind of jerky in different ways, but they also try in different ways and they love each other in this kind of sideways, you know, they don't run to each other hugging. In, in, the, in the show, they sort of kind of sidle up to each other and elbow each other. And that's how you know they have affection. So the show, every episode began with a death because it's a funeral home, right? And uh, it, would, it would be just some, you know, some random situation happening in L.A. where the show takes place. Someone dies. They show their birth and death years. And then sometimes or often 
they become a part of the narrative of that particular episode. Like the funeral for that person is happening. The end of the series, uh, Nate, the main, kind of the main character's son, it's a family. He died a few episodes before and they're dealing with that. And this show is such that you see the dead people of your life. Like their father died in the first episode. Mm-hmm. And so they see his ghost, his spirit, who talks to them and such. I don't think I'm going to get to explain this well. Basically, the youngest daughter is taking a cross-country road trip from L.A. to New York, where she's going to start a new life. And so there's an ending of sorts there. And she's saying goodbye to her family on the porch of the house where she's lived all her life and crying. And then she says, Oh, I want to take a picture of everyone. Can't take a picture of this, it's already gone. take a picture of this so she backs up to the bottom of the stairs and nate who's already died he's there and he leans into her into her ear and whispers you can't take a picture of this it's already gone which kills me it's and that's what life is we try we try to capture and hold what means so much to us but it is so impermanent and mm-hmm. that's what the whole show was about, was impermanence. And how do you, how do you establish something that is going to root you when life is basically about impermanence? What's going to bring you meaning? And so I, I thought that was just brilliant. And then she starts driving. And as she's driving, that song comes on called, it's called Breathe Me. And it's by the woman whose name I can't pronounce. Sia? Sia? Sia. 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 Uh, so, uh, uh, so Sia is singing that song. And basically they start showing scenes of everyone's life as it goes on while the song is playing. And then they start showing their deaths one by one of all the main characters. And you see how they died and when they died. The mother dies in 2025. And at her funeral... The, young, the youngest daughter meets the man she'll finally marry, who happened to be on the show earlier, but they broke up, but he comes back to the funeral. And it's all over music. There aren't any words. It's just amazing. And then, and then David's husband, Keith, dies in a shootout because he's a security guard. And they show him. And then when David dies, he's at a picnic and he's got a new partner. Uh, you know, like, I don't know if they're married or whatever. And he has a heart attack, but it happens just as he sees Keith's spirit like playing football with the family it's the I'm family like picnic. crying and I don't even know who these people are it's, it's amazing it's amazing it's a, a cumulative thing where every character dies and at the very end the young daughter her name is Claire um, she's on her death but she's an old woman she became a famous photographer because you see all of her photographs uh, around her and she's in a wealthy place and 
It's sort of futuristic, and she has a helpmate, a helper. And you see some of the photos on the wall, and you see the wedding photo. You know, she got married to Joe, I think his name was, and you know they had kids, and and then she dies, and she's the last of the family to die, and and then the show ends, and that's it. But it was it's stunning, and I almost want to say you have to see the whole show for that last 10 minutes to have the impact it does you have to sit through crappy seasons four and five um <laughs> because it, it and it, it's still like liz you haven't seen it and you're getting teary think yeah. just hearing it but if you watch the whole series you've you've lived with these people you've been annoyed by them you've hoped that things work out for them and exasperated but then to but then you're actually you relate to them because they're all dying and they have loved and they're seeing their previously dead loved ones. They're kind of ready to meet them almost. Yeah. It's intense and it's beautiful. I mean, it's sort of hopeful yeah. in a weird way. I think Alan Ball like knew from season one, like that this is how I'm going to end the show. Like, you know, like I bet that's just my, it's just going to be a matter of who's in the montage. But <laughs> yeah. How you, how you go out. And I remember watching that and I, you know, one of those mortality moments where you're just kind of like, oh, my God, look at those years. Because mm-hmm. it shows, yeah. shows both years, right? Birth and death, you know, yep. you do at the beginning of every episode. And you're like, it makes you go, "How? what? Whoa, hold on. Like, what's my year? Like, what's going on? How's this going to work? Like, you know, it throws you into that place, too, which I think is a, a good a side effect of that show in a general sense of kind of how are you living your life? What is this looking like? What choices, what choices are you making? What are you doing? What really comes across in the montage and a little bit on each episode is like how precious the, the lives are of the people um, who are. So it's like, so even though you're seeing this montage of people dying, it's like as they go one by one, you, it sort of harkens back to the memories of who they were throughout the show and stuff and um and each of each of them has this really precious moment of death whether it's in a hospital or whether it's by heart attack there's something too about that that's um because death is definitely closure like i mean you know when a character dies then that's it like you can close the books there's not going to be any more you know i i often hear about the frustration that people have with the sopranos ending of like, well, what happened? Like, I don't understand. And, you know, there's also a little bit of glee that can come from, you know, your imagination sort of carrying that forward. Like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean this? Does that mean that? Like, what can it, you know, what can possibly happen to this family moving forward? But at the end of the day, like when it comes to an end, like people, I don't think people like mystery when it comes to endings. Like people want an ending to be, to shut the book right yeah. like you don't you don't want you don't want the you don't want a cliffhanger for your ending that seems to be a lot of like the issues that people had with the game of thrones ending which is like there's too much potential here like there's not enough closure right um whatever that means well you know that uh, that cliche every every time a door closes the <laughs> window opens or every Ending is a new beginning, you know, um, that, 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 that was definitely what GOT was leaving you with. It was, you know, Oh, what's going to happen over here? Oh, we're North of the wall. And what's, Oh, you know, you know, door of the Explorer and West of Westeros, you know, like, and those sorts of, 
ooh, Sansa, nice crown. So like, you're like, oh, well, what's going to happen? And then I guess some of that benefit is you want more from those characters, which says something about their creators and the endearing quality that they might carry. Uh, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> a very real existential feeling too of like because i think it propels a lot of the afterlife stuff that we talk about um in churches and i know that kind of spurs a lot of decision making that people do which is like well i don't want this to be it like i don't want my death to be it like i need something on the other side of that right and and just like whether whether that's reincarnation whether that's heaven whether that's something like I needed, I need there to be something on the other side of that thing Um, because I can't, so that there's, there's an instance where I think closure is too permanent for people, right. When it, when it's your personal closure. This is a lovely segue into my, now that I've scrambled to find something. (laughs) Two of yours were taken from you. Like, Uh. yeah, well, yes. Uh, So you brought it, you brought up a show that I also love very deeply, Liz, when you announced yours. I'm like, ooh, yeah, what was the finale of that show? ER. ER. So I went to go look for that. And then what I discovered, like I watched silently here while we're all having these deep discussions. (laughs) Like last Five minutes, like someone. In case you haven't heard Betsy's voice for the last ten minutes, that's right. Right. Final seven minutes of the final ER, and I'm looking at this, going like, "Who, who the hell are these people? Who, what? Angela Bassett was on this show, right? Because it was one of those shows that went on so long. There's like there were total cast turnovers. Yeah. Yeah. So my actual when I then was like, oh yeah my feeling of the one of the real finales of this show was actually when Mark Green died. On yeah. Because I, I think drawn to Mark as a character, I think I'm probably, even before I've kind of got more of my own life in the rear view mirror now, in terms of being someone who is trying to be a caregiver and a healer and a parent and like all of those sorts of things at the same time. And he was a pretty flawed character, went through his own real battles, um, internal and external, was a real like loose cannon for a bit, had a lot of depth as a character, you know, lost patience that, you know, affected him deeply. Um, Love's Labor's Lost, one of the best episodes ever made for television. And that I then kind of went, oh, yeah, and his in his decline and how he and Alex had gotten married. And that, that this brain tumor, right? Because Anthony Edwards wanted to go off and do other things. So they they kind of had it, that final episode was called The Letter. And he had faxed, that, that Alex had faxed, or Elizabeth, sorry, Elizabeth, his wife, had faxed two faxes to so here I am, the hospital. I'm on the beach at 5.30 in the evening. Elizabeth is sitting with me drinking juice, but I'm all about the Mai Tais. What's your eating? Dr. Green sent a letter. The sun is going down. Rachel is dipping Ella's toes in the ocean as they head off on a quest for the perfect seashell. <laughs> wow, wish you were here. Would have done it. Weirdly yeah, enough, I find myself <laughs> thinking, you know what would make this moment complete? Some jogger dropping to the sand short of breath so I can swoop in with a piece of bamboo to perform a nice, clean intubation. What's this? It's Mark. Fix the guy up and send him off with a good, simple dispo. <laughs> the day I start fantasizing about critical procedures is the day I leave, too. Which I guess is my way of saying that I miss you all. And that dingy place. Kovacs, you want another 5 
Lots Dr. of times Green. I thought I should have chosen a different career or gone into private practice, something easier, less grinding, more lucrative. But since I've been gone, <clears throat> I realize that outside of what I'm doing right now, sitting on this beach with my family, staying at county all those years, doing what we do on a daily basis, was the best choice I ever made. I know what you're thinking, but trust me, it's not so hard to appreciate once it's over. I got some Mai Tais talking. <laughs> Shut up, keep reading. As much as part of me would like to believe that the ER can't go on without me, the smarter part realizes that you're an incredible group of doctors and nurses who approach every day with such skill, compassion, and thoroughness that when it comes to patient care, I know my absence will hardly be felt. <laughs> I'm not so sure of that. As for friendship and camaraderie, well, that's another matter. In order to leave, I had to go the way I did, but I wouldn't want any of you to think that that meant I didn't value each of you in the years that we worked together, or that I didn't have things of a more personal nature to say. Most of you, I think, have an idea of what those things might be without me writing them down, but still. Go on. That's just a couple dots, and then uh, Ella is laughing and waving for me. Rachel's found her shell. <laughs> Nothing else? Probably jammed. That damn machine's been on the fritz all week. Is there a transmission report? Oh, so he faxes the letter, so he doesn't have to send the macadamia. Why? What is it? This is from Dr. Corday. Mark died this morning at 6.04 a.m. The sun was rising, his favorite time of day. <clears throat> I sent this on so that you might know he was thinking of you all and that he, appre he appreciated knowing you would remember him well. I think it's that it can sometimes not be the very end of a series, but the end of a character mm -hmm. and their, their, their departure that can, when that's your connection, then it kind of feels like the show is over. Mm -hmm. Then maybe you're getting, you know, the book of X. I don't know. Like, you know, I'll hang around. Peter's interesting. All right, fine. <laughs> you know, Paul Small shows up. Angela Bassett. I don't know. You know, John Stamos. <laughs> What's, what's afterwards uh, to see how this thing wraps up, but but yeah, sometimes it can be a character, it can be a, a, an event for one character, and then you're like, eh. I didn't realize it ended in the series ended in 2009. There were 15 seasons. Yes, wow. you know, yes. In the final scene of ER, it was you know, oh, there's that nurse I recognize, and there's you know, oh, there's Linda Cardellini. <laughs> Yeah. Why is John Samos here? Like, you know, and so, so really for me, I think when Mark Green passed away. Yeah. When, is that like when, um, when you, uh, when you move away, like when you have like a group of friends and you move away, but then you go back to visit your friends and they've all made new friends and you're like, well, who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> what? 
That's right. Have a new best friend at work. <laughs> because it ended for you, but it didn't end for them, right? So, right. So, yeah. I have to say, new neighbor. Yeah, I have. I have. I don't know if it's just I have a big ego or something, but you know, when I've gone back to like a former workplace, it just doesn't seem as good. I mean, it's it's sort of it's like oh, I guess the golden age was when I was here. Um, <laughs> you feel like I feel like you sort you go back to the old life, and not only is it not the same thing because there are new friends and stuff, but it's not as appealing as I remember it. Mm. Yeah, I and think about like what Greg was saying that you know the time that we're there, we live in a, in that capsule of time there. You know when. Because I used to work at the Times Picayune in New Orleans, and when they were bought by you know this other publishing group, and all these people were getting laid off, and like I mean, it was really felt like you know like kind of the end, the end of something for sure, right? And I went down to New Orleans, and gathered with my old coworkers, we did a fundraiser for people who'd been laid off, and and that really made me think about that time in my twenties when I was there. And the time actually, you know, two and a half years doesn't seem that long. But for me, it was this first place I ever set up my life outside of college. It was my adulting for reals. And like that, that made the time almost lengthen. It made it feel so much longer. And my heart was really invested there and lived there. And to then have that kind of have a finale in that kind of way. Which mm-hmm. is so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so Mark Green, Mark Green, RIP. Uh, Greg, what about you? Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm going to go off the rails here. Um, okay. My my topic, I can do it if I want to. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to talk about TV or a movie or a book series. I'm going to talk about music. I'm a big Beatles fan. As a matter of fact, Rubber Soul was my first CD I ever owned. Wow. Oh, yeah. Nice. Compact Good start. You're a very cool kid. Mine was the Lion King. <laughs> what? Oh, wait. <laughs> I had Rubber Soul and Anita Baker were my Ooh. first two CDs. All right, then. How about that? <laughs> um, so, uh, so anyway, so the Beatles, we all know them. You know, they're the they're these guys from Liverpool. So they ended up breaking up. Shocker of shockers in 1969. And the last album that they put out was uh, called Abbey Road. And the second to last song on Abbey Road is called The End. And it was specifically written by Paul McCartney. And it comes at the heels of, if you ever listen to Abbey Road, there's a bunch of songs at the beginning, but then it gets into like these uh, medleys of songs towards the middle. And there's two sort of big medleys. And the last medley. Side two. Right. 
the last medley ends right before the end and they've uh they've sung golden slumbers and carried that weight and all these kind of like you know peaceful songs trial songs stuff like that and then it gets to this this last song and what paul wanted to do with it was feature each of the members of the band individually doing like individual solos and so Ringo has a drum solo and George has a lead solo and John has a rhythm solo and Paul has a bass solo. And they all, they all sort of show what it is that they each brought to the table. And then Paul wraps it all up with one last line, which is the, the love you take is equal to the love you make. But what I like about the end is that uh, it does something it it does something that I, that I'm a big fan of, which is deconstruction. And it says, here's this band that you followed for the last decade and that you loved and that we worked together to make music. And here's what we individually brought to the table. And we're not going to do this anymore. Like we're all, we're done. That doesn't mean that we're not going to be friends. That doesn't mean that, you know, Ringo isn't going to play on George's album. That doesn't mean that George isn't going to play on Paul's album. Like that doesn't mean that we're, it's just that the Beatles aren't going to, to perform together again. And the thing about the Beatles specifically is that they never did. Things just didn't exist or, or weren't in place to bring them back together. And so it was this final image of this band in this one song. And what resonates to me is that, like, I find endings to be two things at the same time. I find them to be pretty joyful, like, in the moment. Like, that song makes me feel good. And it makes me feel like, wow, this band really accomplished something, right? And this is sort of their their fitting ending to what it is that they did together. But endings are also very sad, Things are never going to be the same again. And you're never going to go back to where you were before. You know, a lot of the criticisms of the last season of Game of Thrones, which I've seen, which we should say just wrapped up, is that, well, the show isn't what it was, you know, towards the middle of the season. And I keep keep thinking, well, of course it's not. When you're in the middle of a story and things are unfolding... I mean, it, it, it's wondrous, right? I mean, you're just, you're trying to figure things out and it, you know, it's, it's, it's mesmerizing to be on the road, on the journey. But once you've made it to your destination, it, you're never going to get back that sort of wandering feeling, that, that kind of like lustful, I wonder what's around the next turn feeling because it's not going to be there. So, yeah, so I, I, I like the end by the Beatles, because it makes me feel the way that I feel about all of the endings that you guys have talked about, which is hopeful and sad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, and so, so that's mine. That's mine. Well, and I've just, I've just found in life, like I've never been great with like personal transitions have always been hard for me. And I mean, really from the time that I was young and now I work in transition ministry. So I help churches and it's amazing to me the the um, in some places, the strength of the resistance to saying goodbye to the priest who's departing. 
And sometimes that's coming from the priest. Like, oh, I don't want to make a big thing. It's not about me. It was all of us together. Like, they'll do whatever they can to avoid that. They would. Some of them would rather slip out the back door. Um, some parishioners start fights right at the end, you know, <laughs> just because it's oh, easier. Cool. It's like breaking up, you know, nice. like picking a fight. Um, I always, I always talk about that in school that, you know, you can leave high school. You can, you know, we are closing down a chapter of life here. You can leave ugly if you yep. choose to, you yep. know, so I think the trauma friend group issue. Blah, 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 blah. Right. I think sometimes that's just a resistance to acknowledging that a thing is over. And, um, you know, when priests can do that well, can help their congregation say goodbye well, it is such a beautiful thing for being able to imagine and ultimately welcome whatever the next season is. But it's so hard. And it is, I mean, God, the hardest transition in my life probably was graduating from high school. And I didn't really like high school that much. I wasn't one of those people that was like glory days, (laughs) but that, um, that transition was super hard college too. I mean, all of that has been really rough for me. I get it. Well, I think also when we are able to have those moments and then appreciate whether it's a person who's departing or a band or a show that, you know, how I feel about Game of Thrones is not solely rest on the final episode. Right. You know, I, have, right. I have a lot of feelings about the show because of its totality, because I did the books, because, you know, I have a lot of feelings about it and it doesn't all rest on that end moment. So when we offer, you know, particularly I think about like times when my mom has left churches where she served and she's always so shocked and surprised that people have all these deep feelings about her work and about relationships they've formed with her. And it's just like, Oh, you know, you know, cause when you're doing the work, you're doing the work. And right. I think to allow space for that moment of appreciation, we had a, you know, my assistant chaplain here at Episcopal is moving on, not because this place is crazy, but because it's, you know, he has a wonderful opportunity. His wife has a wonderful opportunity somewhere. So, you know, if you're out there and you're thinking about school ministry, you know, get in touch with me. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we did kind of, you know, my, my rector of my church had left this year. So they did kind of that ending of a pastoral relationship in the service. Mm-hmm. And it was so beautiful that I kind of crafted something so we could use that for Timothy. And so we could, you know, have the junior warden, senior warden and the chapel team, you know, just lay hands on him in front of everybody. And we all prayed for him and his family and his transition and thanked him for his time of being a priest and pastor and ministering with us. And, and I knew I was doing some of that because someday that will be done for me. Yeah. And that someday that will be done for other clergy mm-hmm. and that we can find ways to mark ends. And then we get to pass that ability on to other people. It helps mm-hmm. the community process the end. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so much in our lives, we don't actually have that opportunity. Like the endings in so many ways come unexpectedly for people that we love and for us in different ways. So when you do have the opportunity to, ritualize it to take the time to market, even if it can be awkward and hard for people, it's cathartic. And I wonder, like, you know, I started crying, Ricardo, listening to you talk about a TV show I've never seen. (laughs) And I wonder if that's, if that's part of it. Like when these endings are done, well, we put a lot of emotional energy into stories that we tell and receive. And, you know, TV is our, you know, campfire 
right now. So there's a way that when that's done well, we're practicing something that's really um, kind of primal to us that in our world right now, we don't always have the chance to actually do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Four things. No, that is not a fair. Four things. That's four things. The previous one was the last. No, that was the last time I was going to say two things. Two things. This is the last time I'm going to say four things. Um, And the other three are, help me remember, Ashes, High School, and The Beatles. Okay. This one, I sort of feel like, like with the Game of Thrones unsatisfying ending and all of that, and, and like Six Feet Under's extremely satisfying ending, shows have no business not giving an awesome finale. Um, maybe the people who ended The Sopranos felt like that was the best ending. Um, I don't know. Okay, I like so. Sopranos ending. Anyway, Ashes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, ashes. Well, I have recently done a funeral, and I got to say, I have no idea where I'd want to be buried. Uh, or if I just want to be scattered in my five favorite places, which might be against Episcopal rules, I don't know. High school, you know, at high school uh, last year, graduating, we're all signing each other's yearbooks. And I was very aware, even as it was happening, that we were copying out. We all wrote, hey, good luck. I'm sure I'll see you this summer. And I'll see you this summer. And it was a way to not be in the moment. Um, So I'm sorry, I'm sort of hijacking the conversation with my four things. This is the last one. This is about the Beatles. Um, I happened to look this up because I knew there was something I wanted to say. First of all, their final live concert schedule was the month of my birth, August oh. 1966, at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So it's interesting. The place I lived in the most in my life, they played their last concert the month I was born. Ooh, whatever that means. Um, but the thing I wanted to say is their last actual kind of live appearance was this unannounced thing on the rooftop of Apple Records or right. the Apple building, right? And so they do this thing on the rooftop and they end. And I think I'm getting this right. John Lennon then walks up to the microphone and says, thank you all very much. We hope we passed the audition. Speaking of endings, (laughs) Betsy, how are you doing over there? I'm fading. I I got up at five o'clock to eat. Yeah, it's oh late God. for you guys. Or this morning. I've been fasting all day for Ramadan. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh no. Let's oh, end this thing. Speaking huh? of endings, let's end this. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so much, guys, for coming on and talking about for now. Are we doing a staff pick? Are we doing staff picks? We just did okay. four. We just did four staff. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> there you go. Go listen to the Beatles. While you watch the end of ER and, and six feet under, right? That works. And Parks and Rec. And Parks Ooh, yeah. I have uh, more T-shirts. We have more T-shirts to sell. Oh yeah. Um, Ooh. T-shirt. Email us at poppingcollarspodcast at gmail dot com, and uh, we'll see you next time. Keep those collars pop. <laughs> pop. Nice. I forgot. I forgot. It's been too long. <laughs> it was like, what are we waiting for? 